The Witching Hour with Aaron Mazza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Mazza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. I really hope you enjoyed my episode with the wonderful and intelligent Evo Dominguez Jr. And I know that you're going to equally enjoy this episode with the equally intelligent and wonderful Infis Book. They are the author of the book that I reviewed on AaronMaza.com, Queer Kabbalah. And I gave it rave reviews, and you could just consider this episode an extension of that rave review. And speaking of this episode and the show in general, yours truly has begun a Patreon to help support the show and be able to create even more content. Patrons will receive rewards from shoutouts to monthly readings and even a monthly livestream book club. Become a patron at patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. That is patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. All one word. And without further ado, here we go. Hey, Infis, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Aaron. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, just uh, watching TV, seeing the damage, had some storms, just uh, plow through the St. Louis area last night. Oh, it was goodness. always a yeah. As a child of Tornado Alley, I'm always fascinated by, uh, by severe storms. Yeah, I grew up where there were a lot of tornadoes, too, throughout the summer where, you know, several nights we'd have to go down into the basement in the middle of the night and hide under the stairs until the tornado warning was over. So, yeah, definitely grew up in a similar situation. I hope you didn't sustain any damage personally from the storms. I don't know. I, I was at my mundane job and all the uh, all the customers stayed inside the store while I was out standing out front watching watching the funnel float by. <laughs> <laughs> no fear. I love it. It is. I, I'm a, it, where I'm from, whenever you hear the tornado sirens, it's not a sign to go down to the basement. It's a sign to go out there and see if you can see the wall cloud. Nice. <laughs> so my first I question, it. I love to ask this to all of my guests, is how did you find this mystical path that you're on? It's kind of a long story. I'm going to keep it brief because we could be here for three hours. But all right uh, me. <laughs> the short version is, like so many people, the path found me. So when I was a kid... I had a number of unexplainable things happen to me, uh, particularly like deja vu and uh, knowing when the phone was for me. And this was well before caller ID existed or cell phones. So I just hear the phone ring and I'd say, oh, that's for me. And my parents are like, how do you know? I'm like, I just know. And I was always right. And then it was things like I had a very vivid dream of my grandfather dying the night that he actually did die. Uh, and I was six when that happened. And I was very freaked out by that experience. So there were just a lot of things happening that I couldn't, I didn't have a box to put them in. I had no frame of reference for understanding these things. So like most people, I tried to ignore them uh, much of my life until they became inignorable. If that, if that's a word, is inignorable a word? We'll it, pretend it is, it is now because I know it exactly. is now. Yep. I majored in English. I can make up words. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I started dabbling a bit in the esoteric in college and, uh, you know, the person who is kind of walking me through some early steps of that, um, you know, we drifted apart after college. So I stopped really doing much study. And then by the time I hit 30, I had to really make a choice like, okay, I can keep trying to ignore all these things 
or I can actually do something about it and try to find some framework, some lens to view them in that isn't what I was brought up with, which is just like, if we can't explain it, it's the devil. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the short version of the story. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a, my, my lens through which I saw the world for a very long time as well as if it didn't make sense to you. Kind of like how they used to view a lot of science things that are classified as science now is so we don't know how, know how that works it's evil exactly and when we as humans are pretty good we're pretty good at villainizing th things we don't understand instead of seeking to understand it's just it's almost like it's just easier for some people just to to say it's bs you know but once you get to understand it it uh it just it's, it's almost like a breath of fresh air if that makes sense yeah when you when you are offered a means to understand it that isn't just maligning uh it's it's actually pretty freeing and pretty interesting it, see once you reject the offer to understand though it becomes one of the biggest my biggest pet peeves in the world is willful ignorance <laughs> if you have mm -hmm. a chance and somebody wants to sit down and explain something to you they're making an offering of time to talk to you about it see that this is me just going down one of those rabbit trails because I, I love to talk about them <laughs> And you're just scared of expanding is what it comes down to at the end of the day. And you're just scared of how big the world is. Exactly. Now, I also do have to give my father some credit because um, he was very open-minded with conversations about the esoteric uh, when I was a teenager. And so I was exposed to some of these, uh, we'll just call it alternative ways of thinking outside the mainstream uh, from a fairly young age. And I, I'm not sure I would have found the path I did as easily uh, if he and I hadn't had those kind of conversations. I love that. that. That's so cool. I grew up with parents who were, well, I grew up, I grew up with a mom and a grandma who were not as open to that. They were the mm -hmm. people who were like, we don't understand it. It's the devil. Mm -hmm. My, uh, I, I am the child uh, of, of an Italian immigrant, mm -hmm. if that says anything. <laughs> And if we, it, it, she, she was Catholic, but then she got tired of Catholicism. So then, so then she became evangelical. So that, that should give you a little taste of, of what I dealt with growing up. Yep. I was raised Catholic and um, I think largely from the Irish side of my family. So uh, that is, that is baked in <laughs> to my mother's side anyway. Oh yes. Yeah, so that, that great Catholic guilt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. So over the years and all, all of your studies, uh, I'm sure you've developed a definition of magic uh, that uh, how would you define magic uh, personally to if somebody were to ask you well what is magic to you magic to me is exerting your will to create a certain outcome that uh, a scientist looking at what was done and what happened could not find a direct cause and effect uh, that we understand in the mundane world uh, that can be a very vague definition at times, because if I do a spell for a new job and I am very good about getting my resume together and then I get that job, well, you could say, was it the magic or was it, you know, the mundane work I did? I think a lot of magic is sort of uh, nudging circumstances in favor of a particular outcome, but it always requires some mundane work as well to be effective. Very true. Or, or sometimes, like I'll like I'll say to people, is oh, I just call, I just call magic. Uh, you're just pulling cosmic strings, <laughs> for, yeah, for for a particular outcome. 
Yeah. And when it comes to things like divination, I like to think of the universe as one giant fractal and that things that happen on a smaller scale are reflected in the larger scale and vice versa. It's just a matter of being able to notice those connections and work through those connections. It's kind of like, a, or, or, or give people the definition, I'll, I'll give people an analysis and say, well, think of it this way. My definition of magic can be so simple, it's complicated. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Because, because as humans, we're, all, we're so used to having all these different things attached to words. Well, when you say this, it actually means this. Just people, we cannot grasp a concept of saying, the sky is blue, and have the sky simply just be blue and not try to attach all this analysis to it. I hope, I hope my, my coffee kicks in soon. Cause I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm ranting just like a mad person. <laughs> it's all good. I'm enjoying the conversation. I am too. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy finding a, a kindred spirit. So you study in particular, you specialize in a particular system of magic, uh, the Kabbalah, uh, yes. give people a nutshell definition of Kabbalah. Kabbalah is a framework through which to understand, and I'm going to quote Douglas Adams here, uh, life, the universe, and everything. So uh, taking him a bit out of context from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> but uh, Kabbalah is a method of understanding the universe based in a glyph called the Tree of Life, which many people have probably come across in their esoteric studies. The roots of the practice are in Judaism and but there are separate streams of work with the same spiritual tool that are very different. So um, for several hundred of several hundred years, there has been a stream that is specifically in the occult path working with this tool and seeing the, the glyph includes 10 circles, which are called spheres or sephiroth and seeing those sephiroth as different layers of consciousness and ways to understand our relationship with divinity and manifestation. So that is the stream that I work with. I try to be really clear. I was not raised Jewish. I do not have the authority to speak to how people within the Jewish faith work with the tool, uh, but I am pretty comfortable speaking about the version that is within the occult and pagan community. Definitely. See, whenever, whenever you, I, you, you acknowledge where it comes from and whenever mm -hmm. things, whenever you don't acknowledge the cultural context of where some systems of magic come from and you almost, almost try to make it your, make it your own. That's when we get the word, like that's when the phrase cultural appropriation comes up, but see, mm -hmm. you acknowledge where it originated, you know? Yeah. And I'm very careful to acknowledge, particularly in the book, there is a section on cultural appropriation. And I just want to make sure people understand that I am not attempting to reinvent something that is that I have no authority to touch. Uh, I have nothing but respect for the Jewish faith. And I want to make sure that uh, people know I'm not trying to pretend to be someone I'm not. And, 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 that is, and that is amazing because I, I know some authors who have written over certain cultural things who don't even acknowledge where it originated. And that's one of the first things I pick up on whenever I'm reviewing a book. I was like, they don't talk about where this originated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just, so then, then I got to go to Wikipedia. And then yeah. I, I, I like to do, this is going to sound completely shallow of me. I like to do as little footwork as possible unless something really pricks my interest. Yeah, and if someone wants to dive deeper into the origins of Kabbalah um, from the occult side, I'd really recommend uh, Christopher Penzak's book, The um, Temple of, oh gosh, now I'm going to get that. I need to, give me one second, because I need to look at the cover of the book that's on a bookshelf slightly far away. Give me two seconds. <laughs> Is it The Temple of High Witchcraft? Ah, 
Yep, that's the one. Thank you. Let me, Aunt Sandy, if you can just edit this in. <laughs> um, so for a great uh, book to read about the occult origins uh, and how they overlap and tie in with the origins of Kabbalah from a Jewish perspective, I highly recommend Christopher Penzak's Temple of High Witchcraft. Yes, that, that, that's definitely a good one. It's, it definitely makes it, uh, until I until I, I read your book, uh, Queer Kabbalah, which we're going to talk about here just a little bit, I had never found another book which made it more digestible. Yes. Because Kabbalah can get very, very complicated, very, very quick. Yeah, much as life, the universe, and everything is very, very complex, <laughs> so is any tool representing it. Uh, but one of the things I really tried to do in my book is offer an introduction that was more gentle and easier to get your brain around than a lot of the books that I read when trying to understand Kabbalah for the first time. And it is uh, extraordinarily appreciated. Uh, so what ignited this passion for Kabbalah? Uh, what, it, it, it had to be something that just grew over, like grew over time. So it really had to grow for me because my interest in Kabbalah really didn't start until I started studying the Temple of Witchcraft material. Yeah. For me, about 10 years ago was when I started circling with um, a coven of the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel, which is the tradition I'm part of now and I'm one of the clergy members of. And when I started circling, they were talking about Kabbalah and how that is really foundational to the tradition, which is now about 40 years old, that a lot of our rituals and workings are built upon, we'll call it the operating system of Kabbalah. So when I heard that, being someone who loves to understand things deeply and then be able to explain them more simply, I got slightly obsessed with reading up on it and trying <laughs> to fit everything into my head. And I started with Ellen Cannon Reed's book, The Witch's Kabbalah, which is often the go-to recommended book for people just starting out on the occult path. And uh, now I think actually we have a wonderful successor to that book, which is Kabbalah for Wiccans by Jack Chanick, which is I think a lot better. <laughs> I think it's a much, uh, it's definitely more modern and makes it a lot less overwhelming than even Ellen Cannon Reed's book, which is fairly short, but it is deeply focused on multiple correspondences. Like before you even understand what Kabbalah is, it's like giving you, here's all these tables. Um, here's like this architectural diagram with many different layers. And uh, I just was like, wow, how am I expected to learn all of this. This is so much right out of the gate. So mm -hmm. I, I'm relieved to see there are some newer generation of Kabbalah books coming out that are a lot more digestible, like Jack Chanick's. There's one coming out next month from, J uh, actually in July, uh, by Jane Meredith uh, called Falling Through the Tree of Life, Embodied Kabbalah. Wow. That one is absolutely fantastic. And Jane Meredith has Jewish heritage and weaves it in with her um with her book quite a bit and it's about feeling the Kabbalah within yourself and developing that relationship. It's a fantastic book. That is so cool. So yeah, I love it. Like just like with you, just like with your book, that sounds like a book that's going to take something that seems high and lofty and make it practical. Absolutely. One of the books I tried to understand Kabbalah with was the, the, the chicken Kabbalah. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. But, no. I forget who wrote that. Was it Lon Milo Duquette? I think it was. That's correct. Yeah. 
and I, I picked it up and I'm like, I, I was too busy giggling at some of the anecdotes in the book to really grasp the concepts. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, the book does to make things a little more digestible. Uh, and, and it is quite a funny read. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I have some concerns about it because uh, it definitely strays over that line of appropriation a bit because the character who is teaching Kabbalah in that is a rabbi, but Lon Milo Duquette does not have Jewish heritage. So mm -mm. that gets a little, a uh, little cringy, but it's, um, it does have some really good ways to help learn some of the deeper aspects of Kabbalah. Definitely. So my next question is, I just want to ask what your experience is as a queer person been moving, because I'm, I'm guessing you move in a lot of the ceremonial magic circles uh, out there. What has your experience been as a non-binary queer person? Generally, I'm, I'm very lucky to be and to have found quickly uh, the tradition of the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel because it is a tradition started by queer people and is very open and accepting of uh, gay, lesbian people, bisexual, transgender, uh, polyamorous, pansexual, anything from the rainbow is definitely welcome. And everything, you know, allies outside of the rainbow as well. So uh, I have been lucky in that regard, but one of the things, you know, we are a tradition that is a syncretic Wiccan tradition. So there are things that we, you know, include from Wicca as it was kind of created in the 1950s and 60s that felt a little alien to me the more I started to understand myself as a non-binary person. So mm. there's a lot of binaries in there about, you know, there's a lord and lady or god and goddess. There is masculine and feminine energy. You know, all these kind of binaries that people loved in the age of Pisces are all throughout, <laughs> through a lot of the Wiccan uh, mm. stuff. And one person who I think has done a great job trying to uh, tease out some ways to make things more affirming for non-binary people within Wicca is Ivana Burrow. Uh, they have several books coming at it from the perspective of as a non-binary person, and I highly recommend them. I am going to have to look. I am going to have to look into that now. I, I'm just over here taking notes. <laughs> oh, I have me. all sorts of. I am such a book nerd. I am happy to recommend so many authors to you. Uh, so yeah, I I really. The more I started practicing witchcraft, the more I realized that, number one, I was non-binary. I didn't figure that out for myself until just a few years ago. And I've been a practicing pagan since about 2012, maybe a little before that. So it's interesting because I approached all these things and I took them at face value because we're all raised in a patriarchal society here mm -hmm. in the U.S. And saying, oh, you know, masculine energy is very projective and active and positive and feminine energy is very negative and receptive and submissive. And I just sort of said, yes, okay, yep, I accept that because that's very familiar. And uh, all my women's studies professors were probably glaring at me from 20 years ago. <laughs> and until one day I was like, wait a minute, why? Like, why do we call these types of energy masculine and feminine? Like, yes, it's a very easy shorthand for those of us raised in a patriarchal society because we understand, but the idea that there is a type of energy that does something to something and then there's a type of energy that has something done to it and that 
we're going to label them masculine and feminine. That's just, that doesn't sit right with me. I, I fully accept there are these types of energies, but I really don't think those labels serve us anymore. Yeah, uh, Storm Fairywolf talks about something uh, of that nature in his new book, The Satyr's Kiss. He's basically says there's more there's more than just masculine and feminine representations of, polar of of the polarities out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I love Storm Fairy Wolf. I really liked his Witch's Name book, and I'm eagerly awaiting the opportunity to read The Satyr's Kits. It's, it's on my bookshelf, and I just can like, it's one of those that's just calling to me. And I'm like, I know I have to read these other books first, but I will get to you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, not only do we work with myriad types of energy in even within Wiccan circles, you know, we have the pentacle. That's not a binary symbol. We have we work with the elements. That's not binary either although a lot of people like to gender the elements and that's one of the things that i'm like do we have to do that like really is that necessary that, that it's almost laughable that we try to put genders on forces of nature we sure do yeah <laughs> it's like there are a lot of things that transcend gender and even binaries that transcend the concept of gender that we use already like uh you know if we're raising energy clapping your hands is a binary of noise and silence you know, um, inhaling and exhaling, that's a binary. Right hands holding left hands, that's another binary. Uh, so we, we work with a lot of non-gendered binaries and we work with a lot of multivalent polarities, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, like chanting, dancing, all those kinds of ways we raise energy that are working with more than just two different kinds of things. And yet, we lean so hard on this idea that magic is made by inserting tab A into slot B, like Ikea instructions. And that's the only way that it works. Um, and, and yeah, so I think it's, it can be useful to start with binary polarities because they're easy to understand. But I hope that most people in their magical practice will realize you can do more in-depth, complex and interesting magic if you expand your perspective beyond that. Exactly. When you when you brought up the IKEA analogy, that's just what I was thinking. I was like, it's, it's like it sounds kind of like putting a bookshelf together or a table together. Like, yeah. Exactly. It's like you're you're casting a spell. You're not putting together your new bar stools. Exactly. And now you I want to approach it from a lot of different ways. You, you certainly can. I want to talk about what has become one of my favorite books to to receive and to come across is uh, Queer Kabbalah. Oh, it well, is. Thank you. Yeah, you, you make it really relatable. And like I said earlier, is you make it you make it very approachable and presentable. I didn't there I didn't feel the slightest bit intimidated reading your book at all. Oh, uh, good. That was my goal. <laughs> mission accomplished. All right. So where did this book come from? How long did how long did it take to put like pen to paper to make this a reality? So every book starts with an idea, right? Mm -hmm. And and I also want to be clear, I am not the first person to think up queer Kabbalah, but I did not actually come up with this idea by looking around and finding queer Kabbalah stuff like there is banishingly little information on that combination of words, regardless of the spelling and maybe LGBT. I searched, I looked, you know, for everything and could not find hardly anything at all. So but for me, I had been digging deep since 2012 into studying the Kabbalah. And as I was working on my second degree work for the assembly of the sacred wheel, I had a project where I was teaching my coven more about Kabbalah and its relationships to the tarot. So I took our eight holidays and each one we were looking at either one or two sephiroth on the 
tree of life and the tarot cards that correlated with them. And I built out these rituals. I built out like an hour long class for each one and, you know, a path working for each one, uh, largely built upon some of the work done by Dolores Ashcroft Nowicki in her Shining Paths uh, book. So I did all of this stuff. And as I was doing it, and I was reading, gosh, uh, so many books on not only Kabbalah and tarot, but Kabbalah in general, some really meaty tomes like uh, <laughs> Practical Guide to Kabbalistic Symbolism by Gareth Knight, which I think I threw across the room five or six times while reading it. Uh, <laughs> I did it with but, you, just in the name of that book. It's it is an elk stunningly large tome in very small print, uh, and it's not just the length that makes me frustrated. There's a lot of moments of just like clear homophobia and racism and just not great stuff in there. But there's some wheat amid the chaff that it makes it worth reading. Not as a first book in Kabbalah, though. <laughs> so, anyways, I was reading these things. Um, one of the books I read uh, was Rachel Pollock's The Kabbalah Tree, and one of the things she notes in there is that each of the names of the spheres or Sephiroth uh, has a Hebrew name and Hebrew names have masculine or feminine endings. And I was like, huh, well, that's really interesting. And, you know, it's sort of a side point in that book, like just saying this and then it kind of moves on from that. But the more I started thinking about that, and this was about the time when I was starting to figure out my gender was not cis female as I assumed for most of my life the more I started to kind of pull on the thread of wait a minute there's some really queer stuff just baked into the tree as it is so I found things like um, you know the names of the spheres being masculine and feminine we also have three vertical lines in that glyph which are called pillars and depending on the book you read they may be called the masculine pillar, the feminine pillar, and the pillar of balance between them, or the pillars of force and form, pillar of uh, mercy and severity. Yeah, like there's a bunch of different ways to call it, but basically I had this head slap moment of, you know, I've been thinking of magic in this binary way, but look at this thing that has a thing in between the masculine and feminine that is its own separate axis of power. And that really resonated with me the more I thought about it. And then I looked at those Hebrew names and say, you know, they're not consistently putting masculine names on the masculine pillar and feminine names on the feminine pillar either. And then I started looking into the symbolism and the astrological correspondences and finding absolutely delightful um, inconsistency in how gender is portrayed on the tree. So that was really what sort of bore this out. And what the book started as was a blog in 2020. I decided to start a blog that I, well, originally it was just a website signpost for when I teach places. Because uh, everyone's like, oh, you're teaching at our conference. What's your website? And I'd go, uh, I don't have one. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have to create at least a signpost website and about the classes I teach. And I want to be able to distribute class information through it. So I created majorarqueerna.com. Uh, one of my friends in the burlesque community came up with the name, which I love <laughs> so much. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, I've got this and people sort of get what my deal is. I'm, you know, talking about queerness and magic. And then I started thinking, you know, I could make this into a blog. I have some things that might be worth sharing. And, you know, I, I'd been thinking about the queer tree of life and I'd already taught 
I think a class or two to a small group about how, um, how the tree is fundamentally queer. And I thought, you know, what I haven't done yet is look at each of the individual spheres through a queer perspective, through a queer lens and relating them to queer life challenges or, you know, rites of passage. So I started, I think, early 2020 doing a series of blog posts with path workings to teach people at a high level what a sphere is about and then what makes it queer. And then a path working that I tried to make as inclusive as possible. Like I do not gender the people encountered in the path working. I try to leave a lot of room for people to have their own unique experience and not feel like there's any particular gender or sexuality at play. So I got a few entries into this and my, um, one of the elders in my tradition, uh, Evo Dominguez Jr., said, hey, um, who also proctored my second degree work on Kabbalah and was the one to say, hey, you know, keep pulling on this thread. This is really interesting with queer Kabbalah. Evo said, you know, you could make a book out of this. And I was thinking, nah, no, <laughs> who, who am I? I mean, I mean, Evo's been studying this for 30 years and I had been studying it at this point for not even 10. And I'm thinking, no, no. I'd... And then COVID hit. And suddenly my band was not performing or rehearsing anymore. And I had all this free time. <laughs> and that is when I began to take what I'd written for the blog and start to flesh it out more, start to work some, like some new content in to see maybe I can make this a book, maybe that could work. And then I submitted a proposal to a couple of publishing uh, firms and uh, Llewellyn sent me a contract and I was quite frankly stunned and am still rather stunned and uh, chuffed at the whole thing. <laughs> well, guess what? It happened. The book's sitting right here in front of me and it's, it's definitely it's become one of, my, one of my faves for the year. Oh, thank you so much. That's really kind. So, so what is next for you? What is next for you, Infest? What is coming up? What's cooking? What's cooking? Well, I have the book launch is happening in June. I'm not sure. When does this episode air? Should I talk about future or past tense here? Uh, you can talk about whichever tense, whichever twin tense you like. Let's talk about future tense. All right. So as we're recording this podcast, I am looking forward to uh, the book launch itself, which is on June 8th is when it officially comes out. And I'm doing an online party for it that people can join on uh, June 10th and then doing an in-person uh, sort of book release at my local pagan store, The Crystal Fox, on June 12th. And then I have a couple of other speaking events coming up. Uh, in particular, I will be one of the guest presenters at the Goddess Conference in Glastonbury, England, uh, wow. pre pre-recorded. I don't actually get to go to England, but uh, I really love that this conference is making a point to get more non-binary and trans voices represented in their programming. So I was very pleased to uh, record a short workshop for them. That, that's, that's absolutely beautiful. Let's tell everyone where we can find you more information. I invite people to come to my website, majorrqueerna.com. Uh, that is where you will find links to the book, where you can order it. Uh, also, I really encourage people to request the book at their local library because, you know, I love I love libraries as an institution and library 
libraries help more people find the book who may not otherwise. So if people don't have the money or don't want to purchase it, please go ahead and request it from your library for purchase. I have a blog post on how to do that. It's real easy to find on my blog. Uh, I also am on most social media platforms. I have a YouTube channel. I'd be very pleased if people could subscribe to because I'm just under that threshold of enough subscribers to get my own custom URL. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. But I really, really enjoyed visiting you with you today. Likewise. Uh, and I will keep pushing your book on people. If any, if people are like, I need a good Kabbalah book, I'll be like, this one. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm kind of a, I, I don't want to say I'm an obnoxious cheerleader. I'm just passionate about you know, things that are relevant. You know what? I, I call myself an enthusiasm enthusiast. So, which is a line from the show Gravity Falls. Uh, it's like a news report and local enthusiasm enthusiast so-and-so. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I am. Because yeah, I love to gush about books that I love, music that I love. I just like, everyone, you need to find these good things. Please enjoy the cool things that I have found, please. You're like, so, go get them. Yes. Yeah. I like also like to say I'm just Italian about it. Whenever I find <laughs> something that, that, that I'm really, really excited about it, um, it's going to, it's going to be like a, it's, it's going to be just like I, I have a little baby or a little child that carry around pictures of it in my wallet uh, <laughs> uh, you know all, all that kind of stuff but I, I really it. enjoyed talking to you Infus and we will uh, talk to you soon all right thank you so much for having me Aaron it's been a pleasure and the pleasure was all mine